Welcome to The Frenzy. I'm Melissa Carter. And I'm Jen Hobby. The Frenzy's mission is to celebrate friendships over 40. We believe that women can thrive through authentic relationships, self-discovery, and spiritual exploration. Our decades-long friendship continues to grow because we are willing to go there and share our truths through life's highs and lows. That's why The Frenzy is here, to hold space for women who are 40 and older, because at this age, your story matters more than ever. Well, friends, we're really excited to introduce you today to Nancy Keenan. Nancy is the founder and owner of Harris Park Homes, a construction company that helps build people their dream homes. She is also a real estate professional, licensed contractor, and longtime interior designer. Nancy believes that a home is not a home because of its room dimensions or the color of the walls. A home is defined by how you feel when you walk through the front door. I love that. Nancy's also earned the top producer award in her real estate company. She is married and a mom of two, right? Did I get that right? Yes. Daughter in high school and a son in middle school. So Nancy, welcome to the frenzy. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. I'm so excited to connect with you today. And you have so many interesting parts of your story. Thank Um, you. But I think we start on the career side of things because I think it's so interesting to be a successful woman who owns a construction company. So (laughs) can you tell us what that is like to work in such a male dominated industry, building homes? How have you navigated that and maybe what challenge, some challenges you have faced? Well, I think that when I started, I started all of this at a very young age, I, I, started making things and selling them when I was about eight years old. And so building a business has just been something I've always done. I never thought twice about what I was doing. And so I kind of, um, I finished, I have an art degree. So I went through art school and, and was always doing business, you know, different businesses and, um, and ended up really being focused on homes and residential construction and design. And I mean, it's overboard obsessed, really. I mean, it's, it's pretty much all I think about and do. And it's always been that way. So I had, uh, I went back to school to the Atlanta College of Art when it was before it was SCAD and studied interior design, and then opened a retail store in Toco Hills that was called about design for the home. And I had that for five years. And it was before Target opened. And it was before, you know, the crazy internet where people were shopping online. So it was, it it was a successful little store where I helped people with their home items and gifts and whatnot. And then um, I was pregnant with my daughter and decided that I was going to finish with the store and closed the store, sold everything in it and started doing more interior design and then was in houses, like amazing, amazing homes, West Paces Ferry, I was doing design. I painted murals. I did, you know, back in the day we did um, faux painting, you know, that was like a big thing. So I was oh, yeah, I remember that trend. Yeah. Creative something. And um, I had a friend who had gotten her real estate license and I thought, oh gosh, I should, I should flip houses. I mean, that's just what I was made to do. And so I would, I would go into the homes, you know, and, and do different things to fix them up. I wasn't really doing construction per se at the time, but then it just fed itself. It was, you know, just kept going. I kept adding skills and, um, and then 
uh, when I was pregnant with my son, I decided I needed to actually have more income and decided to get my real estate license. So I went through that process and began selling houses in 2007, which was a really, really bad time to start mm-hmm. selling houses because, you know, 2007, 2008. Yeah. Like the worst time <laughs> was tough. And so, um, so once I, I did get my license and started looking around thinking, I guess I can't really flip houses when all the market is, is crashing down around me. So I learned how to sell houses and, and found quite a niche there selling houses until about 2013 when the market started to pick back up and I bought my first house to flip. And I thought, I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. It's fine. I'm going to buy this house and I'm going to renovate it. I did not tell my husband. I did not really tell anyone. I had saved the money and I said, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. So I did that and that was great. And then I bought the one across the street and flipped that one. And then I just continued to do that. At what point did you uh, fill your husband in that you had bought a house and we're going to flip it? Okay. So that was a conversation <laughs> for sure. And, uh, you know, we had two small kids at the time and I just said, I'm, I'm buying a house and I, I want to renovate it. And he was excited. I mean, he, he, was, he definitely was excited and he was always supportive of, of me doing it, but he doesn't like construction. So he really didn't want to be a part of it. So I had to piece together my team. And I, and I was, I had worked in construction alongside my real estate clients for a while. So I kind of had an idea what was happening. And then I bought a piece of property eventually. And I, I did a subdivision in DeKalb County and I, I built four houses in a subdivision, figured out what that was like. I, I actually hired a builder to help me. So I, I interviewed different builders and I actually had builders say to me, I don't know why you think you can do this. I mean, this was like, I got so much pushback for being a woman. And and I know that, I know that a lot of women have the same struggle in construction and the industry has changed. There's a lot more women in construction now, but back then, I mean, this was 2014, 15. And I mean, the looks on their faces when I would say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to build this house. Here's my plan. I financed it. I designed it. I, you know, this is what I want to do. I finally found a builder who he, he told me his mother had been a very successful business person. So I think he had more exposure to women who were, mm-hmm. you know, more idea people. I mean, it seems so crazy, doesn't it? To think about that, but he, he was supportive and eventually the market had changed to the point where I just didn't want to pay him anymore. And I had enough experience to go and apply to get my own uh, contractor license which is no small task. And at the time, and I know you know about my, I, ha- I had a daughter who was very, very sick. And at the time I, she was sick and, and I just kept pushing through. I kept saying, you know what, this, I have to do this. And, and no matter what somebody said to me, no matter, you know, the questions I had someone, a man say to me, how do you have so much energy? And I mean, like pretty, some pretty like cutting statements about, like, why would you ever be doing this? How, how are you even thinking you're going to do this? And so that gave me more motivation, obviously, you know, when you sure. say, well, somebody, it, Did, you know. are you the type of person who always wanted to prove people wrong? I, I just kept saying to myself, like I never, it was just a natural progression. Right. Right. There was no question about it. I didn't say to myself, 
oh, Nancy, maybe you shouldn't be doing this because you're a woman. You know, it just, that never occurred to me. And I had built up quite a crew, my electricians, my, you know, all the people that work for me, the same people for so many years. And I, I never once had them say, you really shouldn't be doing this. It was, it was more builders who were, you know, kind of doing that. Do you think they saw you as competition and were trying to knock down the competition? I just think they were surprised. It was just genuine okay. surprise. Like when I would go to the permit office and, and they would say, oh, who are you building for? And I would say, I, I'm the builder. You know, I, I'm actually the contractor. And they just would shake their head and just kind of think, oh, okay, this is new, but I'm accepting of it, you know, and it kind of, it it was really hard. And I guess if I didn't feel like it was what I needed to be doing, I would have felt a little more intimidated by the process, but I, I just didn't, I just kept going. I mean, I had a moment, DeKalb County has a lot of uh, uh, issues in permitting and just in general municipality wise. And there's a sewer problem. And there was the sewer department when I was building my subdivision, I, there was a sewer department that was very difficult and there was a man who met me out on the uh, on the job site and he he got right in my face and he said don't ever email my boss about me and I had threats you know people would would it was it's just mind-blowing some of the things that happened to me through the process but some of my very proud moments came through the permitting because I would go, you know, a lot of people hire people to do their permitting. And I was like, no, I mean, my grandfather taught me, if you go to the bank, you go inside, you meet the people, you, you know, mm-hmm. you do this yourself. So I would say I'm doing my own permitting. And so I know the permit people at DeKalb County and I, you know, I feel very comfortable with that. But when I brought my contractor license for the very first time to register as a, a general contractor with the, with the county, the woman looked at me behind the counter and she looked at my license application and she just shook her head and she said, I've never reg- registered a woman before. Wow. And I was like, it's 2015, 2016, whatever it was. I'm like, you're kidding me. How is that even possible that it's so weird or rare to be a female, you know, general contractor or builder? And then a few years later, I won an OB award, which is a, a building award from the, the Atlanta Builders Association. And it, it's pretty it's, it's pretty high level to win one. I had no idea. I didn't even go to the ceremony. I had a friend who called me and said, Nancy, they're calling your name. Where are you? (laughs) I I can't believe I'm winning this, but this, like, I was one of the only women I think who ever won this award. And it just, to me, like I, I was just taking steps for other women. I I feel Mm -hmm. like anyone can do if they have the level of obsession that I do with construction, then anyone can do it, but it's, you know, it's a long process. It's, it's a difficult process. But the one thing I do find now, just like many years later, I have lots of experience and can build just about anything. I think at this point, residentially, not like commercial office buildings, but who knows, maybe I could do that too. But um, I do find the level of trust is different with me as opposed to maybe a male builder. Oh, interesting. In what way? I like to build for people I know. I don't, I really don't build for strangers at all because I need to have someone who already trusts me and already knows that, that I have the level of experience that I have, but that, I think that just is naturally handed to men in a way that they're, you know, they can say I'm a contractor and it's like, 
there's a there's a trust. You're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And most general contractors probably grew up with it or they, you know, were more in the industry with their family or, you know, and, and even a lot of women in construction, they were, that I've met, they were brought up in construction. I was not. And so I think there's that kind of, that little fine line of someone wants to hire me as their contractor because it's different and interesting. And I have the interior design behind me as well. But then there's always that level of like, I can't, you can't really do it. So I've had people ask to speak to my husband instead of me. And what? And you even said your husband doesn't even like construction. He doesn't have a clue. No. And he, he wow. does know about it, but he owns restaurants. He's not, he's yeah. never been. Um, this is not his thing. This no, is your career. Why a, that doubt? Is it just because it's so new? Why do people have that shred of doubt that you can execute? I mean, I don't know. There's not enough of us. You know, there's right. not enough of, and, and there are so many more now. I meet women builders and, and general contractors, but I always ask them, like, are you the license? Because, like, they're not always the license. They can run the company, but they can't pull the permits. So they have to hire someone else to pull the permits. Okay. And I run into that a lot, but I, I pull my own permits. I mean, I am, I am the GC. I actually have the license. And I, sometimes I've had to pull out my license number to prove it which I'm sure there's wow. plenty of men who don't have to pull out their license number to be like, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you're such a pioneer. I love that you're leading the way. And sometimes, you know, I've had a similar experience in radio when I was anchoring a morning show on star 94 with two male co-hosts. I was the first woman to have ever done that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was, sh- people kept bringing it up and I was shaking my head. I was like, wait a second we should not be doing firsts anymore. Right. Like when you, when you went to that office and the woman's like, I've never approved a woman before. And you're like, it's 2015. You're like, we shouldn't be still having firsts in 2015. You know, it's a nice, it's a nice pat on the back or something like that. But I hope that we get rid of all the firsts for everyone. Right. And when I went to my classes for the contractor license, you know, you do classes, there was no women in there. There, you know, it's all men. It's always men. Everything that I've ever done, it's been all men. And I, but when I was a freshman in high school, I wanted to take a drafting class and I, I, I suck at drafting. I can't, I'm not, my handwriting's awful. And I just like, you have to be so perfect in particular. And I'm more of a artist than, you know, than that. But I went to my drafting class and it was all like ROTC, you know, types of, of, of boys. And I had no clue. I walked into the class the first day and that teacher, it was in Bangor, Maine. I grew up in a Bangor, Maine of all places, you know, and I walk in and he, and he's like, Oh, you're here for drafting. And I said, yeah, I thought it would be a really cool class to take. And I was the only girl in the class. And he's like, awesome. Welcome. Sit down. And I always wonder if he had given me pushback at that moment, would that have changed my life? Mm-hmm. You know, would that have changed my, my goals? I mean, I didn't get any pushback. It was like, oh, it's weird that you're a girl and you're here, but guess what? We're that's awesome. Sit down. You know, it, that's like kind of what I've gotten the whole time since for my whole life in this industry industry. And that's why I think I also love the real estate so much with it because there are so many women in real estate, you know, very powerful women in real estate. But there have been people along the way who are just like, Can I just talk to your husband? I really don't want to talk to you. And you know, wow. he doesn't, 
he just can't do it. He can't, he's not going to talk to them. And he'll even, when he visits a job site and somebody comes up on the job site and they go to him to ask him questions. And he's like, no, you really need to talk to my wife. And they're like, what? They look around like, it's kind of funny. But I use that sometimes. You'll think this is funny because sometimes I don't want to talk to the people coming up on the job site. <laughs> and so I'll point to my framer and I'll go, he's the contractor. And <laughs> And your framer's looking at you like, what? Don't make me do this. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh my gosh. sense of humor about it. So would you have any guidance for women um, or, or tips on how to navigate a male dominated industry? I know you've probably learned ways to navigate it along the way. Definitely. I mean, I, I think that the best thing that I ever, that I've ever done about it is to just not really give, give consciousness to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really am focused on what I'm doing and the, and where I'm going with my confidence is there. I think it's for someone to shake my confidence on what I'm doing is, I mean, it happens, you know, I'll, I'll have, I'll have someone on a job site who's like, you can't do that. You know, you can't put that wall there or you can't, you know, and so that sometimes shakes me because I think, oh man, maybe I should know this. Maybe I don't know this. But as I've gone through the process and just kept pushing, not listening to those voices and, and not feeling that, you know, I, I just don't pay attention to it. I don't give it credence. Like I'm sure you couldn't when you were sitting there and everybody's like, wait, you're a woman, you know, you're, you're just doing what you want to do. So right. you're, you're just home. doing your job. Yes. And you're amazing at your job. And that like, if you're just, if you're good at it, well, and if you're doing it for the right reason. So I think mm -hmm. a lot of people get into some of the things that I do. They us have so many people, my gosh, I teach people all the time about flipping houses and they come to me and I say, I just want to flip houses, you know, cause it's on TV. Mm -hmm. There are 30 minute TV shows about getting a house from beginning to end. And I, and it, it just is not possible. We don't do that. It's a huge process. It's very difficult. And so I think people look at it like, oh, this is such a, you know, fantastic, glamorous life. Glamorous is kind of a trite word, but, but, you know, it's like one of those things that a lot of people want to do. And so if, if that is what you want to do, it has to come from a place of wanting to do it because you actually want to do the job, not because you want to be on TV or you want to be, you know, you want to make a whole bunch of money. Cause I'll tell you what, I've lost money on projects. I've lost, I've lost a lot of money on one project that I'll hopefully never do that again, but mostly it's been pretty successful, you know? And, and so you have to, you, I think you have to do a job for the genuine part of the job and not because someone else does it or because it looks attractive, you know, it, it really has to come from inside and it always has from, for me, from the beginning. Do you feel that you have to be more prepared than male counterparts? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You know the old saying, like, you have to work twice as hard, whatever it is, about when you're a woman in an industry, you have to work twice as hard and be, you know, look like you're twice as good, I guess. And yeah, I do. I think that I've always been really conscious of that. Like, when, I, when I'm building a product and I'm selling it to someone, that thing better be really good. <laughs> Right. And I, right. I do feel that. I feel that a lot. And on the frenzy, we celebrate friendships over 40 and women over 40. So how has being a woman over 40 benefited you in your business? 
I mean, I think it's given me more credibility, the recognition, the experience. Um, when I first started, I, I still feel like I knew what I was doing, and, but I was, ta I was taken less seriously when I was younger. And I feel like, as, you know, now I'm 50 now. So I feel even more like, I, I don't really care what someone else thinks as much. I feel like the judgment piece, it's very, it feels just solid. You know, I don't feel as shaky in situations where it, if I, you know, was younger, I probably felt more self-conscious. You know, people would judge you more because you're young. How do you know what you're doing? You're young, mm -hmm. you know? And so I feel like with, with the age, it, I can say, Hey, I've been doing this for 20 years and that that's a lot. And I, I love being able to say that I've been selling real estate for 14 years. I love being able to say that. I feel like it's real, you know, real credibility and experience that people do hire and admire. And like you said, that confidence has come because you've been interested in each step along the way and each step beget the next one and the next one and the next one. It wasn't like you set out for this end goal, but you just learned along the way and you kept growing. That's and what I, I think is so fascinating. You know, I would like to build some more more subdivisions. I, I love developing property. I love the the process of putting in the sewers and the and the uh, the infrastructure and getting a property ready. And I, I do see that you know in my future as as I get even more experience and and more um, investors behind me. <laughs> You're definitely the first woman I've ever heard say, I love building sewers. That's amazing. I love it. I would say that. I'm like, why do I love, why do I love utilities? Like <laughs> that's awesome. Lines and it, I mean, it just, it's all part of it. It's like, it's a, it's, it's working the land and, and bringing something to the land that is, is very needed. I mean, homes, it's everything. It's where we, we have our whole lives are in these boxes of sticks and bricks, mm -hmm. but it's a huge responsibility. And I, I, and I just really enjoy that when somebody buys one of my homes that I built and they're, I mean, there's nothing better than that. Oh, that is awesome. So, Tell us know. about, can you share what you've learned over the years about the importance of your home or can a new home bring happiness or if somebody who's restless in their own home, even unhappy in their home, like what could they do to remodel it or make it feel more like them? I mean, I think your environment is everything. It, it really does. It affects your everyday life. And, and when you can have a space that has light, you know, I think natural light is, is a very important thing. My homes that I build have, have large windows and, and I, I kind of go overboard a little bit on that. You'll, you'll see behind me, I have all this, is, I'm sitting in my new addition at my house. So, um, but I think that when I work with clients, like this is kind of what I learn when I'm working with, with real estate clients is I, I learn about their environment and their, where they are currently, and then what their goals are to get to a new environment. And it's always so interesting to me, the, the certain things that, that really are, are the, you know, the motivating factors for different people. And, and it, it can be location, it can be size, you know, people go bigger or smaller or, you know, change, change in uh, neighborhoods. It's, it's a lot of times family size um, based. And then, I mean, I had, I had a client who was moving from Smyrna to uh, the Tucker area because they live in a, they have uh, jobs at the school 
near there and they were driving an hour and a half every day on both ends of their day. And so all I thought about the whole time I was working with them is, oh my God, I'm giving them three hours back. Yes. It's huge to do that. You yes. know, to get three hours back of every single day to spend with your kids or, you know, go work out or whatever it is. I mean, that's a, I felt like that was an honor that they let me help them, you know, get to that, that place. But I do think that, you know, your, the colors you use in your house, some people love bright colors and that makes their whole life. And that's great. But some people need, you know, more serene with the, the lighter, you know, white, white, is very popular right now. It's a lot of white. And I think our world, it's directly reflected from the world we've been in the last couple of years. Oh, interesting. And so people are, obviously your home has become something completely different. People were working, you know, outside the home. A lot of people are working at home and and really have changed the way they use their homes. And so when when I watch those changes happen to me, it's so fascinating. And, and it's just, it is like a psychological science to watch people, whatever their motivations are. And then sometimes I'll sell people in their lifetime, you know, two or three different properties. So their life kind of goes through shifts and changes. That is, you know, that's really, really fun to be a part of and, and people in their homes. I mean, obviously your home is, is your sanctuary. So you get to go home and, and what does that feel like to you? What is it? What do you want it to be? You know, some people live in, in a a thousand square feet. Some people live in 10,000 square feet. Why? I want to know why, what, what Mm -hmm. is that motivating factor? And it does help my clients more and more. And it helps my building when I'm building houses too. I think about what, you know, what people's needs are currently, but then also in a timeless way, how do we build something or create something that is not going to be trendy that you're going to hate in two years because that's I, I feel like that's really important too because you have to take the cost into right so yes like a big trendy thing it, it, you have to be careful about that right right one trendy thing I wanted to ask you about in building and I wish Melissa was here because she and I have talked about how she's a light sleeper and how, you know, anything will wake her up. And I was joking with her and I said, well, a lot of people build homes now with two primary bedrooms so that they can sleep separately. Is that a trend or is that something that's here to stay? What are you seeing? (laughs) Um, I think I see it more and more with, well, it's different now, you know, working with people, there's two, usually two breadwinners in the home, right? Mm -hmm. old term, but um, usually, you know, and people might have different work schedules. So it is important to have an extra, um, the demand for an extra suite is more and more than I've seen in a long time. And I actually have worked with a few ER doctors who work that opposite shift where they need during the day. And I've built out spaces specifically for that with extra sheetrock. You know, we do soundproofing, we do blackout Mm -hmm. shades. And um, so, and there is a call for that more and more. I think the quiet garage door opener, something that you probably never thought about, but having, you know, when people come home and it's a, it's, 
off hours, especially when you have kids sleeping. Yes. Our daughter's bedroom is right above the garage. So sometimes if my husband wants to go work out early in the morning and doesn't want to wake her up, he'll, he'll park outside of the garage at night because we don't have a quiet garage door. <laughs> yeah. That, and I, I have that request and I, in my homes that I build now, I always put the quiet one in because it's, I mean, why not? It's not that yeah. much. Like you said, it's a quality of life issue. You know, it's a, it's, it's something that will give you back a quality of life that you didn't have before that or before and the extra bedroom. Or the... Focused, like definitely yeah. more consciously focused on quality of life than they ever have been. Yes. It's, it's like people really coming into themselves and thinking and processing what is important to you. Don't think about what matters to your sister or what matters to, you know, your brother-in-law or somebody who's, oh, you know, you're always having these voices in your head. And I do think people have come more into their, their own um, opinions. And I, I love to see that. That is so cool. Now we talk here on the frenzy a lot about how women juggle it all. So, mm. and, and we're not sure that anybody's got the clear answer, but what about for you? What's your take on juggling family and work life? What works best for your situation? Well, I'm lucky that my schedule is pretty flexible mm -hmm. and um, flexible in that I don't have a nine to five. I mean, I, I work more like seven to 11. So it's a little longer. I was going to say, yeah, was gonna say are you 24 seven on call? Yeah, there's a little sleep a little sleep. So, but I do think, I, I think women struggle with that word balance of, mm. you know, and, and I just don't, I heard someone recently talking about this in depth and, and the, the short of it was, you know, whatever you're doing at that time, do that. So you can't be thinking like, oh, I've done 50% of my day at work and 50% of my day with my kids. There we go. I did it. I won. <laughs> right. It's like I'm doing this work today. I have a lot of work to do today. I need to put all my everything into this work today. And then when it, when the kids, you know, maybe at a certain time of the day or night, I might say, you know, this is the time I'm going to spend with the kids and, and do that and not feel like and I'm not be, yes. Not be answering emails while you're with the kids. Yes. Yeah. I've heard people say that a few times and I, and it really, I think that made me feel a little bit better because I think mm -hmm. I felt like guilty kind of like, oh, it's, I can't balance. I can't balance. And I kind sure. of got off of that word for myself and it lightened my guilt load. <laughs> we are deleting balance. Goodbye, balance. <laughs> Just hello, focus. I well, like and that. With the, you know, we kind of touched on the, the my daughter's had some medical issues and, and, and that, those things come up, you know, a lot of people mm -hmm. have kids that have issues. I know you've had your own with your family. And when that, you know, if you're able to shift, it's such a wonderful existence to not feel like I had to miss out on any of that. I was able to say to my clients, you know, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm taking my daughter to an appointment. And that was, you know, that was, that was a gift. I feel like, I feel like every day I'm so thankful that I get to do what I do. Nancy, I want to hear a little bit more about your daughter's health journey, um, because I think it will resonate with parents and other moms listening. Can you share that story with us? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I'm in the middle of this, all this building, right, I'm getting my contractor license and 
and working my real estate career. And, um, and I have a child who my daughter was, um, it's actually something we have now, we now know she was born with. So it's called Arthid and it's an avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. So people have, have picky eaters, right? And you see, you hear people talk about picky eating. Well, I knew my child was a picky eater, but when she got to a certain age and she needed more growth, her, she, and she was, she was doing gymnastics. So she was a lot of output. There wasn't enough input. She really has never been a good eater. And then she was getting thinner and thinner and she was dropping weight. And the pediatrician was saying, you know, just make her eat some macaroni and cheese. Just make her drink a milkshake. And I'm like, this is not working. And she, she was getting like, it was, it's hard to explain because people who have eating disorders act like normal people. Like for the most part, you, you're not really going to see how physically medically ill they are until there's a certain point. And so I was working out with a trainer and the trainer was affiliated with uh, the Eating Disorder Information Network, which is a charity that I work with as much as I can. I, I, it's, one, it's in my heart. It's an education network, basically. And, and when people have people at schools or different places, these, this, this, uh, this charity goes to the schools and does education. So this particular person that I worked with knew that eating disorders, because she had been on the board, she was a dancer pre previously. And so she said, you know, I had, I was training with her and I said, God, it's just, she's just eating less and I don't know what to do. And she's acting, you know, strangely. And she said, you know, I think you should talk to this nutritionist. And I said, well, my pediatrician says, you know, it's okay. And so I finally went to this nutritionist and she ultimately hospitalized her. She was very, very sick. Wow. And, and I didn't know. And the thing is, she was like, she was about, I don't know, hours, 12 hours from death. Whoa. So it's so incredibly serious. And, and, and I was just knocked off my horse. Like, what do you mean she has to go in the hospital? You know, and they, this nutritionist who in my mind walks on water, you know, she saved my daughter. She said her heart rate is so low, you know, this is a dangerous place to be. And I, and I was like, okay, well, I guess, you know, and I know nothing like zero about eating disorders, zero. And, and I said, well, we'll just wait till tomorrow. And she said, well, if your daughter had cancer and you could have treatment now, would you go now or would you go tomorrow? And I was like, geez, I guess I better go. So we took her to the hospital wow. and, and she was in intensive care for two full weeks. While oh they my started her goodness, Nancy, <laughs> intensive care. Yeah. I mean, at, at Scottish Rite, which is the most amazing place in the entire world. And I, you know, I had been working, I was just getting ready to build this other, this massive house. I mean, I, you know, when your child gets sick, it, I mean, you're living your life. I mean, you know, you had a daughter, mm -hmm. I know a little bit about your story, not, not a ton, but I, I did listen to you on the radio when that, like I, we were kind of at the same time, like you were, Mm. wasn't that around that 2016? Yeah. Yes. Reese was diagnosed in 2016. Yeah. And we were at the other campus. We were at Eggleston while oh, you were at Scottish Rite. Yeah. Amazing. They're and, wonderful. But they have an eating disorder specialty unit at Scottish Rite. So oh, that's wow. why we were sent there. And, 
And unfortunately, she had actually that week before she had been in the ER at Eggleston. So she had been like keeled over crying, her stomach hurt. And I was like, what's wrong? I mean, it's so strange to have this happening. You know, she's 11 years old and I, and I knew she wasn't really eating, but I didn't know this could do all this damage. And we went into the, to have a, they did, the doctor did a, um, uh, an x-ray and the, usually the person who's the tech would not make any kind of recommendations. I mean, they're doing the x-ray and that the tech went to the doctor and said, this child's bowels are full and, and her bowels had stopped. Okay. Oh. Stopped. And they, they gave us an enema and then flushed her and then sent us home with Miralax, which is what almost killed her. Oh, wow. So her story changed the protocol for eating disorders. Wow. So story. She is responsible for changing the protocol, which makes me cry. But she, um, her story is so unique that there, she's the, she's the case study for doctors uh, all over the world. So it's, it's really interesting. So anyway, after that, she went to the hospital. She didn't have any blood going to her brain. Her metabolism had shut down. Her heart was stopping. Oh my goodness. And all the while, while this is happening at home, she's still doing gymnastics and going to school and everything else. It was like happening underneath the surface. It was so like, and I look at the pictures of her back then and I'm like, God, she, but she was always tiny. She was never a good eater. And it didn't get to be that concerning until really I saw, we went on a class trip and I saw the other kids eating and that's kind of when it hit me. When I saw the kids, you know, at 11, 12 years old, they should be eating like horses. I mean, that that's like, like when I hear women limiting their kids' food around that age, I, you know, obviously it makes me sick to hear that, but I'm like, that's when they're growing. That's when they have the most nutritional needs. And she was not eating, but I had been told as a mom, you know, you let your kids eat when they want to. It's like that intuitive eating, but kids like her, which is, it's actually very common, believe it or not. Kids like her don't always have that hunger cue and they might not have the, they might not have the ability to say it's time for me to eat because she's a very busy kid. And so anyway, it was, she was, she was existing. She was going to school. She was going to gymnastics. Her gymnastics was getting a little manic. And then I caught her exercising at night and I caught her looking at food labels. And there's a lot of signs that I talk to parents a, a lot about, you know, these are like, these are like the steps you don't want to get to. You don't want to get to the point that your kid is obsessing about how many calories they're eating. Like it's normal for kids to care about nutrition. It's normal for kids to be hungry and eat a bunch of stuff that you might not eat, but it's, it's not normal for them to get to a level of obsession when their weight is dropping and not gaining. So hers dropped a lot. And then she had to go to a treatment center in uh, South Carolina because there were no treatment centers here. So once she got medically sort of stable-ish, she went into an inpatient facility in Columbia, South Carolina called the Hearth, which is not there anymore. But they, um, she had to go there. She was there for three, almost three months. And, and that was, um, that was a big challenge to go back and forth. And now we have a place here. We have Veritas 
collaborative. It's a, an eating disorder facility where it, they have inpatient, they have residential um, treatment. And her doctor, who is the medical director there, Dr. Anna Tanner, was um, she uses Nori as like a case study for ARFID, which is a specific kind of eating disorder, a little bit outside of anorexia, but it would cause anorexia to happen, you know, because anorexia is kind of a body, body state, I guess, and also a mind. So eating disorders have like a biological component, a medical component, a genetic component, which is so crazy to me. Wow. And I did um, not know any of that. It's so complex. And they call it a cancer of the mind. So it's, I mean, it, it's so invasive. And in I've worked with so many parents. I am not, an, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert. I'm just a mom, you know, just a mom that went through um, something that I, that I don't want anybody to go through. And so we've been really vocal about that. And so I get probably two or three Facebook messages a month from moms like, should I be worried? You know, and then I can say, well, here's a group of nutritionists that we like. And here's, you know, a place that we like to go to. And, and there is a difference between having a picky kid and then having an eating, eating disorder kid, you know? Mm -hmm. So we, it was a very awful and still, she's still in recovery. She has a doctor's appointment today. I mean, Mm -hmm. we go through, we, we have appointments and appointments and appointments to help her with her, um, her ability to eat and to stay stable at a weight that's stable. But generally people can get treatment, get cured, go on with their life and hopefully be another voice for eating disorders because it's also environmental. Like there's big studies right now going on about TikTok and how damaging it is for girls Mm. and boys. I mean, a lot of boys have eating disorders too, but it just seems to be a little more in the, you know, more girls, we've met more girls through the process than we have boys, but that social media is so hard on girls and, and anything that talks about eating in a, you know, in a negative guilt ridden way, like people say, you know, clean eating is the worst. I wish I could get rid of that term forever and ever. Mm-hmm. It just sets up guilt, especially for kids because kids think very black and white. So they don't really have that. Like you and I have experience over time. If someone says like, I'm on the cabbage soup diet, you're like, you're an idiot. (laughs) Little kids hear that and they're like, maybe I should try that. You know, I'm fat. (laughs) So it's so, it's, it's really mind blowing some of the stuff that we've seen and going through that has, has definitely made me a lot more aware of my own comments and, um, kind of body things that I have. So. Mm-hmm. so I'm sure as a mom, you went through a lot and learned a lot in that journey. Mm. What do you think's your biggest takeaway from it? I would say that through the process of going through, I guess like sort of in a bigger picture, because a lot of people won't go through eating disorders, but a lot of people go through health with, with their kids, you know, a lot of really scary, scary, scary things. And, and I, I really focused on not like, they always say like me time care, you know, self care, whatever bullshit. I'm sorry, but I don't like, I, I think my, my self care was learning more about what she was going through and being like being there for her. And then also, you know, just kind of looking at it as more of a big picture thing. Like we're going to get through this and then, and it's not crushing me. This isn't going to crush me. I'm not going to have my child being sick 
take away everything else I have. You know, I had a giant career. I have a giant career. I, I'm like, I'm so lucky. I wasn't going to let the fact that she was sick be, you know, that devastating to my family, the rest of my family. I have a, another child who was, you know, needed attention as well. Right. And, um, and I do think that I see a lot of families going through eating disorder treatment. You are with families. It is not, you are not alone. There's like all the families and they're so, I mean, I saw, I literally saw a woman had a heart attack and died, a mother at the eating disorder facility. It's so stressful. I don't know what other health issues she had, but I was like, God, I mean, we have to stay and hang in there for these kids. We can't fall apart or let it, you know, so having a good therapist, like I think, I, and I have a therapist who I love and going to, you know, taking care of yourself that way, but then doing everything you can to be there for your child without, you know, without falling apart. I mean, that's like, you have to keep that example. And, you know, I see a lot of families who, that, oh my God, I've seen some really bad things where the family just falls apart. And then what does the kid have, you know? So mm-hmm. I guess learning to just stay strong and, and work through it without, um, without focusing so much on it that you just, fall, you know, I mean, I don't know what else to say except fall apart. You know, you right. really have to stay strong. Right. I know you had to do that. Having a child with cancer. I mean, my nephew had cancer and he, he's good now. And, and it was, it was awful for the family, you know, but you still have to have your life and do the things that you would, you would normally do, but you have, a, I think you have a heightened appreciation for That's those true. things that you do get to do, right? Right. And you have a heightened appreciation for when things are good and the health is good. And I will say with our family, um, when Reese was diagnosed, I I mean, I remember sitting down with my husband in the hospital on the like tiny little parent bed and just saying like, this is not going to tear us apart. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to have a lot of challenging times, but we've got to make sure that like this pulls us together and not pulls us apart. And I have a dear friend. Yeah. I have a dear friend whose daughter um, also had an eating disorder. It also was very under the surface. The family was not aware of it. It seemed like um, it really snuck up on them, not Mm -hmm. on her, but on them. And they went to a treatment facility as well. And I watched their family really pull together. They, um, she has um, six children and, I'm telling you, the ones that were in college came home and the ones that were younger quit activities like they pulled in tight into that nucleus and wrapped their love around their daughter with eating disorder. And she's now home and doing so much better and so much healthier. But it was something that could have really pulled them apart. And I was I was just so impressed that, you know, it was like everything else has to stop for a little while and you have to really pull that together. But like you said, also not forget that you have so many other things going on in your life that nourish you, that lift you up, that help define who you are and not completely abandoning those either, but, but really trying to, it helps you reprioritize, I guess. The people, people, I know you probably remember, I mean, I remember the people who, the friends that were there in a way that was just, it's priceless. And mm-hmm. so I'll always be thankful for the friends who, I mean, they took my son or, you know, they did whatever they did to um, support us without being like, 
oh, we're here if you need us. You know, like that's like annoying when you're in like a really big crisis and someone's like, oh, just let me know if there's anything I can do. Because you won't ask, right? In the middle of a crisis, you're not going to be like, let me go through my list of friends and ask everyone for help. No, you don't do that. Nobody does that. But yes, you say like, can you pick up my son? And they're like, oh, no, I'm busy. (laughs) Like, I asked you for one thing. You said you wanted to help. Right. Exactly. And I'll always remember the people who did that. And then with the pandemic, it's been really funny. I've like had like my little this is going to sound terrible, but like a little giggle moments. My daughter missed the entire year of sixth grade, the entire year. It's like the, it's like the, one of the most, you know, developmental years of your life. And, and these people are all complaining about their kids not going to school. And I'm like, gee, I'm, I hope they're healthy, you know? And so I kind of had like those little moments in the pandemic, which is probably not super healthy. And my, my uh, therapist would be like, you know, that's kind of crooked thinking, Nancy, but (laughs) you do, you go through a lot as a parent with a sick kid that is, you know, we're so thankful that the kid is still here, that like these little things, like missing a little bit of school. I mean, yeah, you don't sweat as much small stuff. No, You know, it's like, are they healthy? Are they well? You know, wish it on anyone. Like no one would wish any of this on anyone, but it does give us some, uh, some, camaraderie, solidarity as moms. Like when you know someone else has been through something so serious with their kid, you know, like, oh man, I know how that feels, you know? Yeah. And I want to ask about your son too, because I think sometimes the siblings that are, are healthy and well kind of get left behind. And, you know, that happened with us too. It was our older daughter that was the, the, healthy, thriving child when the younger one had cancer, but, um, how is your son doing? How's your son doing with it? He's, he is great. He was like eight years old and he is now, uh, he's 14, his eighth grade. He'll be going into high school next year. And he, he's great. He does not have an eating disorder. And that is like, to me, uh, like I laugh about it and he laughs, he knows so much about it. He laughs about it too. And he, and I'll say like, he'll say, well, I don't want to eat that. And I'm like, I don't care. You're going to eat it. (laughs) It's like, mom, I don't have an eating disorder. I'm like, I know you don't, but I can't help it. You know, I want to do that. But he, um, he has, he, as I feel like as a boy having like going through all of these things that with the family therapy and he was always there and he was young, but it will, it will benefit him in his life. He, I think he has more depth of emotion than some, um, boys, maybe, I don't want to like, you know, define by gender that much, but, but he, um, but though the therapy, it, when we were in the heat of the disorder, we said to the family therapist that, that we were worried about him, you know, cause this is a terrible thing to have to go through. You know, you almost lost your sister. Like this is, you know, scary. And he, and the guy, the therapist said, you know, that's the beauty of being an eight year old boy. He, he's not going to, it's not really going to affect him that much. And I was like, okay, that made me feel a lot better because boys tend to. That's a relief. Yeah. You know, it's a little, yeah. But I can imagine having, having the siblings be that young and how much that must've affected your daughter, your older daughter too. And the worry that they have is just as much as the worry we have. Yeah. It's interesting how it comes out when they're, when they're young. Um, I I've witnessed it actually kind of come out in my daughter as she's gotten older because they were so little. I don't know that they really remember the experience, but 
it's in their blood somewhere because oh, yeah. you know she's very protective over her little sister. She gets really emotional around um, the times when she goes back for checkups and things oh. like that. So it's in there somewhere, definitely. You and know, how old is she? How old are they now? Um, they are third grade and kindergarten now. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow. yeah, and and doing great and doing great. But I think you're right. I mean, camaraderie as moms who have been through, you know, where you're afraid you're going to lose your kid. There is, there is not a worse feeling than that. And yeah. to come back from it and to now have healthy children, it's just whew, such a blessing. It is. It really is. We have a lot to be thankful for. We totally do. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. We do something on the frenzy called the frenzy five okay. rapid fire questions just okay. five of them to get to know you better. So just first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. All right. Number one, where is your cozy, happy place? Oh, my cozy, happy place. I can make lots of places cozy and happy. I think I'm just like generally happy. But I think uh, one of my best, best places is in the middle of one of my construction projects when I'm just by myself. And I'm like, this is, this is pretty cool. It makes awesome. me feel really, really good. Yeah. Number two, what's your favorite framed thing in your home? Oh, oh, that's an interesting question. I have a lot of framed things because I'm an artist, so I have framed things. But I think one of my favorite things is the kids did um, pizza box self-portraits in kindergarten. How so they're like a self-portrait on a pizza box and I have them in a shadow box. So it's like that was, you know, their idea of themselves in kindergarten. And I think those are their treasures. I hope they never fade or fall apart. <laughs> That's adorable. Okay. Number three, what's your most memorable birthday? Oh God. My 40th was, oh my God, it was the best thing. My husband used to own front page news. It's a restaurant in Midtown and little five points. And oh yeah, I'm a huge fan. We had, so we had, he, I had friends that came from out of town and high school friends. And we had the whole place, the whole front page news and Tijuana garage. It was like a big complex in little five points. We had 80s band. I don't know how many people were there. Tons and tons of people. We danced. We had the best time. And then he did a, a drag show. There was like a drag show that we used to have at Tijuana Garage. Which yes, I remember that. I've seen it. Yes. <laughs> Such it a blast. So funny. It was kind of, you know, awful and cheesy. But we had the, um, he had the whole drag thing set up for me. So they, he had the whole, you know, Charlie was like the head guy. And he, he, all the drag, they went to, they went to all these, like the top of every drag you could be for me, for my birthday. And that was like, that was amazing. So I think that definitely stands out as to um, one of the best parties we ever had. And then I turned 50 in the middle of the pandemic. I was supposed to have a huge party at the Vista Room, which was our other uh, venue and it closed for COVID. So that was like the opposite, but the 40th was Definitely. 55. 55 is going to be big. I can feel it. I can feel it. Okay. Number four, what is a daily routine or ritual that you stick to? Oh, I, um, oh goodness. Coffee. I love coffee. <laughs> I know it's terrible, but I love to have my coffee in the morning. I love the way that first it tastes and I have it every single day. And my day, every day is different because I never know what client is going to need me, what house is you know, what's happening in my, in my career, but I do have, um, 
I do always have my coffee. I know it sounds like a lot of people have their little rituals, but that's definitely one for me. I hope I never have to give that up, but I love that first sip and I feel like I'm ready for my day now once I have that. That's awesome. And finally, number five, what fashion trend did you jump on? Any decade. Oh my God. God. Okay. All right. We're going to laugh. This is bad. I think it was like ninth grade. So this would have been 80. What is that? 85. And I got into like, there was a Michael Jackson with the black boots with the silver buckles and the zippers and like all the Michael Jackson fashion stuff. Yes. I was obsessed with the Michael Jackson fashion. So I had the buckle boots and the, I did not have a glove. I did not wear that silver glove, but I think I went, I went a little overboard and I dyed my hair black. And, um, yeah, that was, um, that was definitely an eighties trend that a lot of people did. I love it. Michael Jackson has never been answered and the frenzy five. I love it so much. Fantastic. Silver buckle boots. I swear to you. I wish I still had them. Oh, I know they're back in style now, right? They'd be so hip now. All right. If y'all want to find out more about Nancy or have her build your dream home, she can do that because she is a badass builder chick. Uh, NancyKeenan.com. That's K-E-E-N-A-N.com. Or you can also find her at HarrisParkHomes.com as well. Nancy, this has been such a pleasure connecting with you. You too. And I wish you and your daughter and your family just all the best. I'm so glad she's doing well. Oh, thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you. Thank you. Is there a friend of yours who would enjoy this episode? Please share this with her. And on Apple Podcasts, here's what you do. You click on the three dots at the top right corner, and then in the drop-down menu, select Share Episode, and then you can share it however you want. The green messages option will let you text it right to a friend. We would love for you to also sign up for our weekly email where we send the episode right to your inbox. We make it very easy for you. We also include links on things we discuss and give you some deeper insights to the topics that we cover. And it's how you can also get into our private Facebook group by signing up at the friend frenzy.com today. And if you are enjoying the frenzy podcast with Melissa Carter and me, please subscribe on Apple podcasts or wherever you are listening to podcasts and leave us a review that helps us more than you can imagine. And we really want to reach more people just like you. And here is your reminder as I mean, this is the most important thing we do, right? Is to help you share your story. That's the point of all of this. Open up about your story with trusted friends. Your story absolutely matters. Please follow The Frenzy on Instagram. That's at The Frenzy with a Z-Y at the end of friend. If you want to share about the show, tag us so that we can repost it and thank you. We are everywhere, okay? We're accessible to you everywhere because we also are on YouTube. We have a Frenzy YouTube channel. We finally have a vanity URL, the Frenzy Podcast. So please go to our YouTube channel and you can see some extended interviews, see some bloopers, see what we look like. If you don't know what we look like, uh, again, YouTube at YouTube, the Frenzy Podcast. So exciting. The Frenzy is hosted and produced by Melissa Carter and me, Jen Hobby. Sound editing by Bo Johnson. Original soundtrack produced by Tammy Hurt for placement music, written and recorded by Mark Daniels. The Frenzy celebrates friendships over 40. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. We love your friendship. All right, until next week. 
trust your gut, share your story, and, and stop, stop lying, lying about, about your age. age. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you on Monday.